0: Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway Welcome to A Dash of Drush. Weekly Reflections on Our World Through the Lens of Torah What a surprising day I've had today I'm actually here in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania And uh, I spent pretty much the whole day with two friends and colleagues, Michael Wasserman, Rabbi Michael Wasserman from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and, and my buddy who I'm here with right now, Rabbi Neil Blumoff from Austin, Texas, senior rabbi of Congregation Nagula Sachim. And we went to Gettysburg today. And Gettysburg is a sort of mythical place for someone who wasn't brought up in this country and spending the day there and going to the museum and seeing the film and going to the battlefields I think affected affected us quite profoundly I mean we had a lovely day together it was actually a lovely day together it's always nice to catch up with with colleagues and friends um, but really been reflecting on it and, and a little bit how it might even relate to, to this week's Parsha which is the Parsha Noach which is this Extraordinary story that we infantilize sometimes—a story of Noah being, being called and being, being asked to have this special mission to build this Teva, this ark, and save himself, his family. It's not clear, but the Torah says he's ish sadik b'dorotav, a righteous person in his generation. It's just like lots of questions that have been uh, cogitating, right? So, hi Neil. <laughs> hey Mark.
1: I'm glad to be with you and congratulations on your podcast.
0: <laughs> Thank you, it's great. To, I mean, what, what is what is
1: left with you most from today? So I'm really glad that we were able to go to Gettysburg together. And uh, I grew up in Illinois, which is called the Land of Lincoln. Right. And, and Lincoln is mythologized as this sort of Moses figure. And to me, being at Gettysburg, which I had been to about Uh, many decades before was that Moses is not really the appropriate comparison to Abraham Lincoln but it really is Noah who was in his own generation as you said uh, just and perfect in his generation and what stays with me is really the imperfections and the inhumanity and the ghosts that are truly still present not only on the battlefield but in our own culture in America as we strive to learn the lessons still of Gettysburg.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, what struck me so much as someone who, as I said, was not brought up here, not my history, even though I became a citizen and was supposed to learn about American history, I didn't learn in depth anything. And just, just feeling the, the power of, 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 of what that Confederacy really was and what was at stake. And like, what would have happened if Abraham Lincoln had not been elected as president? And what would have happened if these battles had gone the other way? And I I just, there was this, uh, in in the film, which they did a lovely job of, I thought, in the visitor center, and it was narrated by Morgan Freeman. And the the last line is, I don't remember exactly the words, but it's something like, and here we are standing on the battlefield, or something like that, which was... Today, S- still, still, today. T- still today, and it's superficially about the fact that we're watching this film in the geographical site where it will happen. But obviously, there's it's it's an invitation to to see that history is still is still happening, and the divisions, and the the fact that there's still this kind of um, terrible conflicts and different realities and different ideologies that go on in this country and in this world.
1: And it was a sobering reminder. to to remember that this whole battle was only a three-day battle and thousands upon thousands died. And it's what's best remembered for me, the powerful moment, as you know, was standing at the place called the High Water Mark, which was where Pickett's Charge, on the third day, the Confederacy um, walked or fast marched over three-quarters of a mile into the waiting center of the Union army Mm -hmm. and Half of the troops were killed Knowing that they were walking into such certain death, I think and both thinking about it as a young Confederate soldier perhaps knowing what awaited you And also as a Union soldier knowing that This is your last stand and if you didn't repulse the attack you are going to be overrun that to me was, that that seam as you're speaking yeah. about is, is very pronounced for me right now
0: Yeah There was something really profound about being in that place and, uh, and just seeing the trees that you know, pretend we were talking about if the trees could tell stories, I mean we don't know if they're the exact same trees, I think some of them probably are, but like these trees that they were hiding behind and just seeing and feeling and hearing. Uh...
1: Yeah, to me it was like being in the center where the flood was and sort of feeling still the vestiges of the flood huh. and realizing something is still not right. What
0: know? What does the flood represent to you then?
1: It was the flood of, of humanity who were accepting some sort of strange fate of walking to their death, of 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 knowing that their lives were being put on the line for I don't know what actually because I think the civil war unlike many of the other conflicts were between families, were between communities and people knew each other and the fact that you had people willing to kill each other for what Mm -hmm. I think is still an open question and I think that that's what the orgy of war does I think it reduces us to forgetting who we are together
0: Right and as you said earlier, I mean these were you know the generals were. They were in the classmates. same academies, they were classmates, and here they were like, you know, devising military strategies to kill each other. I mean, it's it's unthinkable, really. Right, really and cool. as you said,
1: you know, the the whole thing in Gettysburg turned on what seems to be the smallest, strangest details. Yeah. That it wasn't a an organized re- repelling. It was the fact that certain things didn't work before, and this was yeah. this was it. Oh, yeah. Very much like what life is, I think Noah didn't really have much of a plan. In my imagination, he was sort of doing helter skelter what he heard from God,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and didn't really know what was going to happen. And by the grace of God, and by the Gossamer String, we're here now talking about.
0: Yeah, seriously. One of the things that was profound about the day that I loved was when the three of us decided. You know, just a little bit before sunset, we we up at the top. What was the name of that
1: the, the Cemetery hill?
0: hill? Cemetery Hill, and we went up, and there was a really beautiful tree, and there was like one of the reconstructed um, cannons from from the from the the war, from the battle, that was standing there. And the three of us just decided to to daven mincha to pray the afternoon service, sort of separately but together, like in the same in the same moment. And there's something about punctuating a day that we were, you know, th- really thinking about this uh, moment in history and the, and the violence and the, and the bloodshed, the, punctuated with, with prayer. And I, I'm thinking about that also in connection to, to Parsha Noach, because some of the commentaries, most notably the, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, goes crazy with some of the language of this parsha about an invitation to enter deeply into into prayer. Bo el Hateva, you know, there's the instruction, come into the ark is how God instructs Noah. And as the Bar Shem Tov and others point out, Teva means ark, but it can also mean the word. And it's this idea about how we we bring our full range of emotion and and our full spiritual Beings into words of, of, of prayer, and then there's also the one that our our colleague Rabbi Tietza Firestone taught so beautifully in a in a morning service that we were in together about the the tsoha, which is usually translated as a window. You know, Tase Tzohar table, like make a window, window out into the world, as if our prayer can't be separate from the rest of our experience. And I'm thinking about that too in the context of this profound experience and then like being together with friends and colleagues and having some really lovely prayer experiences together and then being like praying on a battlefield I mean it was it was it was very profound and I I, I, you know um, something about entering into into words of prayer and what compounded it
1: for me was first of all as you said being on a battlefield so it was almost being in a minion of ghosts We having three of us plus the ghosts who were still lingering. But the other thing to me, which I think that you could, we could both speak about, is that praying these effervescent, ineffable words that were there and disappeared amid all of these statues, trying to represent something that can't be put into words. And the contrast to me of standing in this place surrounded by statues of certain regiments and people and forces mm. and just saying the Shema mm. is to me a is a very different is a pivot and is a is a point of almost resistance mm. to trying to be able to name something that can't be named
0: mm. and there's something cuz taba i mean a, an ark i guess is something you know that does have form but it's a, tactile a, a, it's, it's tactile but mm. a word Especially a word of prayer, something that has formed for a moment, but then it kind of transcends into into something else. And we left it for the
1: winds. yeah. And I think that contrast between, let's say, the the ark of Noah's, and the prayer of Noah's, if you wanted to say Teva, according to the Baal Shem Tov and others, I think it was very pronounced again for me, as we were thinking about it as we watched the sunset.
0: Yes, yeah. So, how I mean... How do we integrate the two experience? On the one hand, we're we're standing and imagining the the death, and on the other hand, we're standing in the be- in what beautiful I mean, the, it was a gorgeous day. The sunset was gorgeous. The changing colors of the fall leaves. You know, just the landscapes out there. And so we're appreciating the beauty. We're connecting to to, to friends. We're connecting to words of prayer, and we're connecting to this insane. Experience from, from from history, and so how, you know, perhaps we can conclude by: How do we integrate those three? And what what what? How does it make us feel? Cool. You you said something earlier that that fascinated me about um, prophetic and people of action and. As we were talking, yeah,
1: that's right. You know, William Faulkner, the writer, says, you know, the past isn't even past, and I think that that's true, especially here but i think that that's true i think we are trying to let ourselves off the hook if we think that we're living in a prophetic generation or a or 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 we will be gathered by someone who is a prophet to help us a messianic figure as it were but i think the 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 struggle of noah's is our struggle too and i think it was abraham lincoln's struggle knowing a little bit more about him is that he was just doing the best he could and that if we realize that we're not prophets, that it enables us to do the harder work more easily, I believe, mm-hmm. or at least more knowledgeably, or at least with a fuller heart, not thinking that we're going to be rescued. We can't be rescued. And we are all marching towards you know the artillery. And I think it's important for us to realize where and who we are and the responsibilities that we have towards each other and towards the moment that we're in. Mm-hmm.
0: And how do you integrate that into your, your spiritual life, your, your prayer life?
1: Well, I think, I don't know, you tell me, but I think there's something free. Everybody wants to be a prophet. Everyone wants to have Martin Luther King, you know, or wants to be Martin Luther King, especially rabbis. <laughs> oh, you know. However I do believe that if we realize that that's not necessarily who we are or what we can accomplish, but we can rather be Abraham Lincoln or even Noah, which I know our tradition resists, I think it's a very freeing and open way and an invitation for us to actually get more involved in the work that we're doing without trying to be too exalted about doing
0: it. Yeah. I mean when Neil says our tradition resists, there's a a story which some of you will be familiar with that compares Noah to Abraham, ten generations later, who is to also, you know, given a much more favorable reviews in rabbinic tradition, because um, the, the language of tzaddik uh, Tav a righteous person in his generation, and the commentaries famously say, "Well, if he was in Abraham's generation, he'd be nothing." Mm. And that that kind of that kind of sense and the the what? Hasidic story of the tulligan impels, like no, if there's. If it's cold, you know Noah puts on a fur coat, and if it's cold, Abraham lights a fire and invites everybody to come and 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 share the warmth of the fire. And it's it feels like that's hopefully in our generation what we're called to do is to is to just be more in community and I think be that's looking a red each other.
1: I think how that's so? It's a rabbinic red herring because you know how often can we invite people to the fire? You know, I think all we have is the resources that we have, and if we can use them to be an example. Then you know we're we're using our leveraging our imperfections, as we were talking about earlier today, to be able to to do the greatest good that we can in the world, without thinking that we are somebody that we're not. Mm-hmm. This gives us the opportunity actually to be human, and to do the best we can, without saying I'm not going to try because there's no way I could be Abraham. Anybody could be. Abraham. So you think the
0: rabbis, like too audacious or too I think so in, this, case, in, their, in this in this particular thinking. case.
1: I don't think we're in Abraham's generation. I think Abraham Lincoln is in Noah's generation, and so are we. Uh There's too much work to be done to think that we can do it
0: gracefully. Wow. So we just have to walk (laughs) humbly and... Walk uh, humbly before God,
1: or humbly with God. That's what I was thinking of when we were on the the high tide, or the high water mark. Just thinking, looking at that beautiful field, thinking about what must have been on the minds of all of those young men uh. on both sides of thinking about what fate await them and who might be in the crowd the cousins or brothers or relatives
0: yeah that's unbearable to think that you could be running into you know running into battle and then like your cousin is like there with a musket like shooting you I mean it's 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 crazy and and perhaps ultimately a, a real harsh reminder of, of 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 the the evil of war because ultimately we're all brothers and we're all sisters and it's like to to demonize each other in in, in the way that humanity like you said the flood of of the brutality of humanity and so that we're um, we're called not necessarily to, to to make an arc and to be exceptional but just to I don't know I'm feeling quite well maybe to stave off the evil to stave off the
1: evil so the flood doesn't come maybe we're in the generation of Noah and And I think that that's an important reminder that even though we may feel overwhelmed that there's work to be done to stave off and to repair the rakia to repair Mm -hmm. the firmament so the the um, primordial
0: waters don't overwhelm us Mm -hmm. yeah I think of I think of that you know because there's this connection too to noach and munucha mm. which it can be used as a critique he was too comfortable munuchar mm. is like rest but but a sense of munukhana on a more soul level mm. that if we get so caught up and yes. react and we I, you know and I know for myself I can overreact to things and if we're overreactive and over, constantly overwhelmed and constantly like in that sense of of feeling pulled in a million directions we actually can't be that helpful but to sort of the the image to me of that of that arc like floating on the well, the arc is sort of like there's a there's a Munukha but underneath it's like raging and it's violent and it's insane and it's brutal and it's out of control so I mean on a spiritual level we th- Need to somehow, then perhaps that's what prayer can help us do. We somehow need to find that place of balance and harmony within ourselves, so that we can be more effective, and, and more able to to be like Noah or Abraham Lincoln or <laughs> <laughs> or who we need to be. I who love that. We need to be. I love that idea, and
1: I think that equanimity of of being calm even in chaos is what we're being called to do.
0: Yeah. Let's hear the call. It's great talking to you. Great seeing you. Great seeing you as always. Thank you and Bahat. Thank luck. you. Thank you. Thank you. Bahat slakha to you too. Thanks. See you soon. Great. Thank you for listening to A dash and Drush. We will see you next time.